On this episode of Comedy Rewind, is Hot Fuzz the very best of Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy? Is there a better example of a film that's an homage and satire at the same time? Are Yarp and Narp acceptable responses to a yes or no question? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to 8-Bits Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio-Technica as we re-watch the great comedies of the 1990s and 2000s. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and joining me for the greater good, Dr. Matt Neal from ABC. How are you doing? I'm good. I am greater good. For the greater good. I'm off the chain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're talking about Hot Fuzz, which has been one of the most requested movies in this podcast as far as hosts and co-hosts wanting to appear on it so i've saved it for hey. you since uh i know how much you love this trilogy and um i couldn't save Shaun of the dead for you but this kind of goes back to when we used to do our first podcast together super terrific happy hour i remember you talking a lot about this you know cornetto trilogy and how it should be studied in film schools. I was just going to say, uh, that's my big memory of talking about these three films is that they should be taught in schools. Um, And (laughs) after re-watching Hot Fuzz, I totally stand by that. Like I think as a, certainly as a screenwriting exercise, uh, it Mm. is outstanding. It's incredible. Um, But we'll get into that a little bit more as we go on, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's start with your personal memories and experiences with this movie because mine are very short. Like it, I'll quickly say that I don't know if I saw any of these three movies at the cinema. I think I watched them all. Uh, well, especially I watched the first two probably on my laptop at uni because we could just share stuff with each other on the network and it was just like oh, hot fuzz, drag that over to my computer and watch a um, MPEG-4 video <laughs> in... Um, 720p or whatever it would have been back then um so that's probably how i watched hot fuzz around 2007 2008 um and definitely loved it because what's not to love and had some experience with uh i guess spaced i was a fan of and then obviously Shaun of the dead so this was very like cool because of simon pegg playing against his type up to that point i think so that's kind of what stuck with me was he wasn't playing a typical geek he was actually like a bit of a badass this time yeah yeah so yeah what was it for you uh i'm i know i definitely saw the world's end at the cinema um and it's highly likely that I saw Hot Fuzz at the cinema as well, but I can't remember that definitively. But I do remember. Didn't review it then. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I think I might have. I'd have to. Mm, I don't know. I don't have access to my reviews going that back that far. <laughs> but um, I do remember that Shaun of the Dead was a, like there was so much buzz about it when it came out, but in a, like an underground kind of way. Like I don't think it was at our local, um, you know cinema in Warrnambool it was probably wasn't big enough mm. to kind of meet the threshold to be screened there but I remember it being like really talked about when it came out on DVD so I'm pretty sure I saw that on DVD and then when Hot Fuzz came out I think I might have seen that at the cinema and I remember thinking that oh cool these guys are just going to like 
um, I remember thinking these guys are just going to keep wheeling out like parody films. And that's pretty cool. But surely they can't live up to Shaun of the Dead because I just thought that was amazing. And then that Hot Fuzz was as good as it was. I, I think I kind of wanted to disbelieve that it was as good as it was. I was like, oh, no, it can't <laughs> match up to Shaun of the Dead. And I've seen it several times subsequently and I'm, I, I still, I can't tell which is better and I don't know that it really matters, but I think it's incredible that they're both of such an exceptional quality and again it comes down to the the script of it but i just remember being kind of disbelieving in how good it was like like paddington 2 like how does that live up to the first paddington how can it be that good sean of the the dead and hot fires is the same thing (laughs) yeah it's funny because it probably comes down to whether you are more of a fan of zombie films or of buddy cops buddy cop films because that you'll, you'll enjoy the references to each of the, and the tropes that the the lamp shading flipping them on their heads um of whichever you prefer i think as, as far as like which of those two you prefer yeah more. and I, I think what what makes them work so well is that it's obvious that um edgar wright and simon Pegg that wrote both scripts are huge fans of both genres like with almost equal amounts of fervor and passion i would suggest and mm. that is what makes these part of what makes these films work so well is that they understand it so well so from their perspective it's it, they're probably um you know driven by that same level of passion but i think you're right it, it depends on which you're more into uh that probably means is, is your favorite and the world's end, I think, is outstanding as well. But it probably is the the sort of stepchild, you know, um, by comparison mm. to them, a little bit. I need to rewatch that one again. Yeah. I mean, what it does to sci-fi is probably just as good as what the other two are, are doing to action movies and uh, uh, zombie movies. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we actually had some tweets about this. Um, Matt Tilby said, this or Shaun of the Dead for best Edgar Wright film. And then Sporting 13, Benny says, I think Hot Fuzz is my favorite of the trilogy. If you had to pick, Matt. Uh, after re-watching it, I'm, I'm probably going to say Hot Fuzz. But if I re-watched Shaun of the Dead, I'd, probably, I'd probably say that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think this one's a bit more accessible just because it's a more accessible genre. Uh, being the buddy cop rather than the horror horror movie zombies and the, I guess the it's less of a dark comedy this one it's, yeah. it's more of a accessible humor yeah. and and what I actually the thing I like the most uh, something that the world's end does that I don't think these other two do is a, like a a level of um a level of depth of character and assessment of what it is to be an adult. And it gets really dark. And I really appreciate that about that one is that it goes to character places that neither of the other two films go to. They sort of, the characters are still really good, but there's a level of depth and, and portrayal in the world's end that isn't in either of the other two, I've got to say. Just to speak in defense, I feel like sure. I've got to defend the world's end here after I just sort of slagged it as the stepchild. But it's yeah, yeah. so that's there's that that point. It's hard to do. <laughs> it's hard to do like a th- a third film well, isn't it? So yeah, they get points for that. Yeah, I think it's still. I think it's worth rating it as like one of the best trilogies of all time in level in terms of level of consistency. 
Mm. Well, you look at uh, well, well, we won't spoil the Rotten Tomatoes section. We'll get to that okay. soon. But um, you know, coming coming back to what I said about the accessibility, this of the three, by and large, like by a long way, made way more money than the other ones. It was eighty million dollars at the box office from a twelve million dollar budget, which is almost double the other two combined. Um, I, I believe off the top of my head. Shaun of the Dead pulled in something like fifteen million, and 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 often the, and often uh, like a tiny budget too, kind of like thirty-five. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this this is yeah eighty million off a twelve million dollar budget, and then like the budget went up with each film to eventually the world's end cost twenty million dollars, and had a lot more special effects and stuff than what they would have needed for this. Which I guess if, the a lot of the budget here would have been uh location stuff and there's some makeup and half decent special effects scene. in there there's more special effects than you realize in there and some are, some are practical but there's also some they blow up a, a mansion yeah, yeah and so they do that very cleverly as well um but yeah there's probably a bit more cg in there than you realize lots of blood spurting and that sort of stuff that's done with cg yeah. um but what i find it surprising that I want to say only, I mean, it's massive, really. It only made 80 million, you know, and that like, uh, like if I had to guess how much all three of them made, I would have put all of them higher than the figures you've just said easily. Yeah. I guess it's British and that holds it back to some people. Like, well, at least American market US audience. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It was also... Like Simon Pegg isn't a box office draw the way that you know Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler or no Seth Rogen would have been in two thousand seven. No, but but by the time The World's End came out, he probably was. So I would have thought that that would have made a lot more. Mm. Um, and but I mean, it's still like That's also, what Hot Fuzz yeah. made from its budget is still pretty amazing. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not knocking it. <laughs> Yeah, and as far as like what Edgar Wright has done outside of this trilogy, do you think any of the movie like maybe Scott Pilgrim might have made more than eighty million? I'm not sure. Uh, no, Scott, Pil- uh, Scott did Pilgrim well? Bond uh, didn't do well. Yeah, that's right. You're right. Um, yeah, and I don't know. But- Baby Driver was that him? Baby Driver, yeah. Um, and I feel like that did reasonably well. If I had to guess a figure, if you want to look at box office mojo, well, I take a punt. I would say maybe somewhere in the eighty ninety ballpark and his most recent film just i think suffered from covid related box office so i'd uh, which is called mm. what is it called uh, last night in soho or something like that ah uh, yeah yeah yep. well baby driver made 226 227 i, was, I am so <laughs> at this game <laughs> but that's amazing i really like baby driver i thought yeah. it was great i think that that movie had like oscar buzz behind it as well as being kind of flashy and and cool, so yeah, had a bit going. And on. if and it had it had Kevin Spacey before that was an issue. Yeah, it was just before too. I reckon it kind of was like one of the last big Spacey films to get out the door. Mm. Um, and I just and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that feel this too. But I'm just kind of eternally angry at the universe that I never got to see the Edgar Wright Ant Man film. Like I just feel. And I love mm. Ant-Man. I think it's great. It's a really underrated Marvel film. 
but I just feel like the Edgar Wright version would have been next level. And I'm just, it. I think his DNA is still all over I that. I think so. Some of the, uh, he must have storyboarded it or something. Cause there's so many Edgar Wright-ish things in there. Well, apparently they did, they did a bunch of test footage, which is a lot of the fight sequences where he shrinks and grows. And so I think a lot of that was, a lot of that testing comes from Edgar mm. Wright's uh, brain. I'd, I'd love to, I've seen some like little breakdowns about where things fell apart, but it's all very vague. I'd love to know what, what, what went wrong there. Cause I feel like we have yeah. been just utterly gypped of one of the best movies of all time. <laughs> we'll never know. Oh, I know. I know okay. it would have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't already know the Rotten Tomato score for this, do you want to have a guess? Uh, I may have looked this up by accident the other day. Um, I'm going to say, I want to say 91. Yeah, it's not. Oh, yes. You cheater. <laughs> doesn't count. You look it up. Yeah, but my memory but, uh, is terrible. The point I was making. <laughs> okay. So, so you're celebrating that you didn't forget in the last Yeah, week, pretty much. That's a win for me. <laughs> yeah. So the point I was going to make before is that these three movies have such consistency with the critics like they were they're all like either 90 89 or 91 like between like two percent difference um so kudos to edgar and simon for that Uh, i've got a couple of uh critic comments here then none of them are from dr matt neil um slate said that it's such a, a vibrant goof so full of love both for the movies and for its cast of ridiculous characters that you forgive it the odd soggy stretch I'm not sure what that soggy stretch might be but uh, I guess Slate saw it that way and then going from Slate to Slant magazine with a fine image and sound transfer and a worthwhile collection of hearty extras Hot Fuzz is now in the running for the title of DVD of the year. <laughs> Back when that was uh, a title to no, behold. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Is it, I guess that's a, talking about its rewatchability, isn't it? Because there's so many layers to this film and uh, foreshadowing and references and Easter eggs that it is something that you could watch multiple times and get something new each time. Oh, yeah, you def- yeah, the rewatchability of it is really high. But th- there used to be a really big thing of rating DVDs in the sense of, you know, all the extras and stuff. Is it really worth buying mm. this? Because, you know, DVD extras was such a massive thing. Uh, so I don't know what was on there, but um, I have seen the blooper reel for the film uh, very recently, but I don't know what else they had on there that would um, make it worthwhile. But that was definitely a thing. <laughs> I, I watched some of the deleted scenes earlier today and most of them were just longer takes of the scenes that are already in the movie. Yeah. So they took a few jokes out, essentially. So the the script of the film, I think, put it at being around about, could have been, would have been about two and a half hours and they did actually cut about half an hour out of the film, um, extra footage, longer scenes, so they try and keep it really lean and sharp. So uh, that, yeah, that makes sense. But it was, yeah, it had the potential to be a little, a bit more bloated. And the pacing of the film, I think, is really great. There's obviously some really mm. cool um, homages to action film editing that they use very cleverly to speed up things. I mean, we like Nicholas Angel gets to Sanford 
within like 12 minutes or less than 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, I think it's about 10 minutes. He's in the country village. So that first act is done really quickly and sharply. And we understand his character completely by then. So I, yeah, the way that they've cut things down um, to make it just so lean is, is yeah, that's in done, been done in editing, but the script sort of worked that they could do that. They had enough in there without uh, having to stretch things out. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so to set the scene, Matt, do you want to guess this one? What was the number one song on the ARIA charts when Hot Fuzz came to Australian shores in April 27, uh, 20, 2007. I'm so it's 2007. <laughs> uh, um, was it Straight Lines by Silverchair? That's a really good guess. Because the week before it came out, that was number one. Oh, no shit, really? <laughs> That's the best yeah. I've ever done in this bit, I think. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so, if we go back to the start of the year, we had a solid like eight weeks of Lips of an Angel by Hinder. Oh, God. Which we'd all like to forget. What was wrong with yeah. us back then? <laughs> and then, then Straight Lines. And then there was a um, week of uh, Avril Lavigne's Girlfriend which was the correct answer. Right, okay. Then we had Missy Higgins for a week with Steer, and then Avril Levine came back for another like six weeks. So Right. She had a good run. Yeah, I, I, I pulled that one out of nowhere, but um, it came in at uh, number two in the Hottest 100 of that year, and it was beaten by Knights of Sidonia by Muse, which I think was a, a mm. bit of an upset and a little bit of a um, Muse fan international vote barrage that got it across the okay, line because right. it only won by 13 votes uh, and was oh, actually wow. technically ineligible um, because it was released like 16 months earlier or something anyway. So anyway, that's just a little bit of yeah. side nonsense. I, I, <laughs> I knew you'd have some kind of Triple uh, J Hottest 100 trivia to to draw on for your answer. It's the only so way I can remember go, where I was at any point in time. It's <laughs> from the Hottest 100. Yeah. Yeah. If you ask Matt where he was in 2009, he'll go, let's see, the Hottest 100 the next year, number one was uh, Kings of Leon. Therefore, I was working here and doing this and living at this address. Pretty much, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Luckily, I only worked at one job for 17 years, so yeah. I didn't have to think too much about that. But, yeah. Yep. All right. So, what have you done for me lately? Simon Pegg has been mostly doing TV shows lately, which is good because, um, you know, one of them is The Boys, which is fantastic. Have you watched any of that, Matt? No, I haven't. But, interesting little bit of trivia, Jono. Um, <laughs> I've read the graphic novels or some of yep. the graphic novels of The Boys. And it's based on him, right? The, yeah. Little Huey is, was drawn to look like Simon Pegg. Um, so it was pretty mm. cool. They got him to play little Huey's dad. I think is that right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, um, and then he's also he was on Dark Crystal, which I haven't really heard much about, but he was involved. I watched about and then Truth Seekers. Four, I think I watched about four episodes of Dark Crystal, and I don't know why I stopped. I wanted. Yeah. I need to go back and finish that. Oh, it, was, okay. it was actually pretty cool. There you go. Thought you were going to say, and then I had to had to quit. But <laughs> no, I just I um, just forgot. <laughs> and then he did he did this series which I guess was his big like re um reunion with with uh Nick Frost in 
uh, Truth Seekers, which I haven't heard great things about. Have you seen any of that? No, it, it was there was a lot of buzz when it came out because it was Peg and Frost together again. Oh, I think yeah. um, Simon Pegg's uh, role in it is actually really quite small. So yeah, it, it seems like more of a Nick Frost vehicle with Simon Pegg as a supporting yeah. cast member. Yeah, uh, but then also there's like a, another Star Trek movie coming out, which I didn't realize was a franchise that was still going. That's coming out next There's year. Two and more Mission Impossible's Mission... coming out as well that he's filmed back to back. Yeah, the, the, yeah. So one of them is coming out next year, I think, and then the other one's still filming and will come out in 2024. So he's done very well out of those two franchises, that's for sure. Yeah, and he does lots of little weird, interesting films in between. Um. And I've completely uh, forgotten the name of it. I think he did a film with, that was directed by Terry Jones of Monty Python before he oh. passed away. Um, it was very, really very strange but interesting. Absolutely anything it's called. Uh, and it's really weird and bizarre. It rings a bell. Yeah. It kind of tanked, but um, yeah, I don't know. He, d- he has picked a couple of little sort of interesting things in between like that that are yeah there you go uh so nick frost again with the tv shows he did truth seekers and recently why women kill and the nevers which i haven't seen any either of those but i have heard of why women kill um wouldn't be able to tell you much about (laughs) it although i imagine that it's some kind of true crime style thing from the sounds of it your guess is as good as mine yeah, um, Timothy Dalton, who I did not realize was in this movie, uh, <laughs> did, just didn't know. I just didn't know that was him because all I know of him is oh, he used to be James Bond. Um, but he's so good in this, and I think a bit of a um, like I don't know if he would be anyone's idol necessarily, but I think they were all pretty excited to get him in the film. Oh yeah, absolutely to play that part. He's he's a Bond. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, as long as you're not. <laughs> You know, the one Bond that did the, you know, George Lazenby. Everyone thinks you're awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. The cast in this is, am- yeah, that's is our, amazing. That's our Bond. Can I uh, put a quick question to you, Jono? Mm-hmm. There are four Oscar winners in this film. Who are they? Uh, Peter Jackson. Oh, that was the trick one. Yeah, you got that. Yep. Kate, Kate, Kate Blanchett apparently is that's in That's the other trick. Yep. Um, and... Uh, I don't know because I, I saw that on IMDb and that's the only reason that I remember. Who are the other two? Olivia Coleman. She, okay. She's the, the only female yeah. cop in Sanford. Yeah. And What's she win an Oscar for? Uh, for uh, uh, The Favourite, I think, wasn't it? Okay, cool. Um, I like her. Yes. See, I, I just know her from like every British sitcom in the 2000s. Yeah. Basically, like she was on The Office, she was on Black Books, she was on Green um, Wing, like Peep Show, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other one's Jim Broadbent. Oh yeah, I, I should. I was going to guess him, but you got the so you anyway. got the two cameo I ones, got the two hard yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah, I got the two that I didn't realize were even in the movie when I watched it. But <laughs> um, so Timothy Dalton was apparently in Doom Patrol. Uh, which you can watch here on Binge. I haven't yet to watch it, but that's some kind of DC thing. I'm sure you know about it. Uh, know of it, but yeah, I haven't gone down that path yeah. yet. 
and then the only other person that I wanted to mention here um, was Rory McCann, who plays uh, Lurch in this film, aka Michael, mm-hmm. I believe is his real name. And I just wanted to throw him out there because he had a reoccurring, long-running role on Game of Thrones as the Hound, which I haven't watched Game of Thrones, but I understand that he's a very significant character. I haven't watched Game of Thrones either, so I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> you can see it. You can just see, you know, big big soldier, however tall he is, six foot eight or something. Yeah. Scary looking monster. These are, they're the only, anyway. they're, so they're the only cast members you want to pinpoint out of this. Cause, um, yeah, because I, I looked at some others. I know that there are some other big names like Jim Broadbent and whatnot, but I didn't, nothing that they've done recently jumped out at me okay i had i didn't didn't recognize any of it i was like okay they're just they're still working good for them they're still <laughs> good for them you know yeah they're still making like tv shows in in england or whatever is there someone that you wanted to shout no, out no no i mean i just the cast of this is so impressive even just in small parts you know you got steve coogan martin freeman and bill nye all yeah. in the first like five minutes um yeah which is it's, very cool it's pretty impressive um We'll talk about yeah. them in the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award, I guess. Yeah, but, um, okay, cool. N- none of them really have s- huge parts in the film. Um, probably the most significant would be Bill Bailey, who's very funny. Um, didn't realize that he played two characters, apparently. But uh, Did you think? Well, did you go through one. and I think it was the whole one character the whole time? I just thought he, he was playing one character the whole There's time. There's literally a bit <laughs> at the end always... where you see both of them together. Yeah, well, I mustn't be paying attention to that part. <laughs> or I was just looking at one of them. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay. Anyway. Uh, Matt Neal, what is the most 2000s moment of Hot Fuzz? It is when Danny Butterman pulls back the doors in his apartment and shows walls and walls of DVDs. <laughs> Yeah, that's was that you? Did you have a, a massive DVD collection? Uh, yeah, I still. Or do you still, I still do? Yeah, still they're sort of hidden away in drawers and stuff. But yeah. yeah, apparently that's apparently most of that in the in the film is actually Edgar Wright's collection. Like they yeah, they sense. didn't need to you know go to the prop shop for that one. That's just they just wheeled in his his own massive collection. But yeah, that is that's a good definitely yeah. the most 2000s thing, hands down. That's a good pull, yeah. The things that I mentioned were uh, we got a lot of close-ups of, uh, what's his name? What's Angel's name? Nicholas Angel. Nicholas. Nicholas. We got a lot of close-ups of his mobile phone on the train ride to this village. Oh, we, yeah, you see the battery, decli- uh, no, the, ser- the yeah. service declining as he gets further out into the sticks, which great. Yeah way of showing that you're getting into more and more remote territory i thought that was great yeah very clever so so those close-ups of the phone took me back to uh the days of snake <laughs> and um sms you know telstra's one cent text uh and then there's a lot of like teenagers kind of loitering around this town and all their fashion was very Mid two thousands as well, with the baggy hoodies and tracksuit pants, and I'm literally whatnot. wearing a baggy hoodie and tracksuit pants at the moment, so I have no idea what you're talking about, Jono. It's it's a little it's a little different. It's <laughs> it's more of the kind of uh, 
Ali G style baggy hoodie, if you know what I mean. The the uh, Wu Tang and Fubu and that kind of stuff, you know. Old school. Old school for sure. Uh, and then I wanted to shout out the cast, the supporting cast of this movie. Um, all you know, all people that were everywhere on British TV in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned some of them before, but Bill Bailey, Stephen Merchant was in there, yep. um, Olivia Coleman, Martin Freeman, Steve Coogan, like all these people, well, most of these people probably came to fame in that decade from their sitcoms that were successful. Yeah, it is a little bit of a who's who of probably British TV from like sort of five years prior to it coming out. Yeah. And that was, that was cool. Did you have anything else to throw out there? Um, no, I, yeah, no, I think it's just <laughs> the wall of DVDs. I just want to, I, yeah. I meant to pause it and then try and figure out like what a lot of those DVDs were. Cause you know, some recognizable spines from the two thousands, <laughs> I would have seen walk around the Hannah Street video video shop. <laughs> nice. There was a close up apparently of a Shaun of the Dead DVD that um, Nick Frost is looking at in the convenience store, but the um, they've covered up Simon Pegg's face so that you can't see him and break the uh, third wall or fourth wall or whatever it might be. Yeah, that'd be, that's pretty meta. Mm. So most iconic scene. I had the shootout with the villagers for this because that's just wild and it's kind of it's kind of the climax of the movie when that's kind of really what the movie's about is a cop taking out these um unassuming village types <laughs> yeah. country bumpkins um it's it's a great scene too because know. it's really um emblematic of how hot fuzz manages to be both a uh piss take and an homage at the same time like it really manages to have yep. its c- cake and eat it too you know it's parodying all this all the way right up until it gets to have its great moment which is a big mm. epic action shootout and it just throws itself into it fully with you know like bad boys whip you know the circle shot that yep. goes around <laughs> um simon peg and nick frost like it's just yeah it's great and i'm um, it really impressive thing uh for a film to be able to walk that line to be both a parody and a really a real love letter as well to the genre and mm. it, it comes down to the the way that that um the big shootout in the village is played out the way it's shot and yeah it, it probably you're probably right i think that probably is that's maybe that's probably the, the key scene I, I'm trying to think of something else that I, I love. I love the ending too in the the model village, where it feels yeah. it's kind of like Godzilla versus King Kong, you know. And I just yeah. thought that was really cool. And I it always stuck in my memory, the way that Timothy Dalton's character <laughs> gets sort of like it's so bright on the church spire. It's brilliant. That it's like this is very painful. Yeah, that shot really stuck in my head. Um, because I remember watching it again, like I didn't, I knew everything, I'd remembered everything that happened, but that was the one moment where I went, oh yeah, that bit's kind of coming up, you know, 
Mm. Some parts just took me by surprise and I laughed out loud. Like the fence jumping sequence. Uh, just I just <laughs> wet myself at that, even though I've seen it three or four times. It's great. The, the other great thing about the <clears throat> shootout with the villagers is that it's the payoff for a lot of stuff that was set up throughout the film. Yeah. So you've had um, his prowess with, with weapons that we've seen on and off. You know, first at the carnival, but also alluded to earlier, we we have um, the occurrence of these action movie tropes that Nick Frost's character is asking him about. Have you ever jumped in the air with with two guns? You know, have you ever <laughs> put your gun in the air and shouted ah like like in point break. you get all yeah. that stuff? Yeah, you get all that stuff actually happening after them discussing it earlier and you mentioned like the bad boys spin around and and that kind of thing and then you know the the two andys casually mentioning that everybody in the town is packing heat um and they literally all are when that scene happens including a farmer and the farmer's mum yeah yeah and so this gets down to like i I just want to dig into the script a little bit because there's a there's a bunch of Mm -hmm. stuff that like you said about the payoff of that. So the uh, th- there's all this kind of multi-layered things going on. E- every sort of every moment, every joke, almost every line of dialogue does a lot of heavy lifting in this film because it does multiple things. So the over the top nature of action movies is is first used as a joke that demonstrates the naivety of Danny Butterman in contrast to the seriousness of Nicholas Angel. So we get it, action movies are used as a way to, to demonstrate character. Then later it becomes a bonding moment between the two where they watch movies together and, you know, it helps Nicholas unwind. And, you know, so there's this great character relationship moment for them. It becomes a source of parody throughout. And then it becomes the massive like, third act action sequence. And there's so many things like this throughout, like, I want the one of the things that um, struck me rewatching it is the Japanese peace lily. So this is this mm. the most arbitrary thing that's in the film, but it pays off and it works in so many different ways. It's used initially to show it comes up in a, an argument between him and his uh, between Nicholas Angel and his ex, where it shows that he's pedantic because he she calls it a rubber plant, he calls it a Japanese peace lily. He then so it, and it comes. Uh, soon after we see him carrying it all the way to Sanford in the quick montage and it makes him seem sad and lonely because he doesn't have any friends, doesn't have any family. All he has is a plant. So it builds character mm-hmm. in that way. It then becomes uh, a another moment of bonding, of friendship between uh, Nicholas and Danny where Nicholas goes to buy him a Japanese piece of lily for his birthday and we understand that means a lot to him and so it's a really touching gift to get and there's a lot of other gifts he could have gotten him but use that in the script is adds an extra layer to it um and then it becomes an ironic weapon which i love later too where he smashes <laughs> it over the head of lurch and it's a piece of lily and i just thought it, that's hilarious yeah. <laughs> but you know that's just one little innocuous prop in the film that is worked on like four different times in the movie yeah. you know it's that kind of stuff I think is is outstanding screenwriting and there's so many 
there's so many other examples like that throughout the film like doing a crossword becomes a whole bunch of different things and more and just not just gags the model village yeah. as a, a symbol fascist um the model village <laughs> as a symbol of what is wrong with the village you know they're trying to be a model village it's the reason behind everything and it it works in so many different ways like there's all these little things that continually pay off throughout the film and that's i think what what part of what makes it work so well is that incredible screenplay and the way all those things do that throughout yeah definitely and, and when you know that it and you rewatch it, you start looking for these things. Yeah. So even like in in the first act, there's a the conversation with his ex, and he says something like, "Guilty people always make the first move," or something like yeah. that. And when I heard that, it's I went, "Oh, I bet you that comes back later on." And I didn't actually catch when it came back, but I'm sure that that <laughs> comes back somewhere. Yeah. And it's as far as like there's there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of guilty people, so I'm not sure exactly who it would be referring to in in the way that they make the first move. Well, they make they make the fatal mistake of uh one of the lady in the convenience shop says, "Oh, you caught them killers yet?" And he's like, "No, just one killer." Yeah. And then, you know, it's like, yeah. That's maybe that's the the first mistake. But the other like the other one yeah, too perhaps. that gets me is is the is lurch and the yarp like it's i was gonna when you when you, it's used it, <laughs> when you mentioned the peace lily it's used i was as um, a joke like <laughs> oh yeah and that was one of one thing that I, that's i'm sure you're gonna this is gonna come up later on about like what's meme worthy from it but you know it's yarp but like she uses a gag to indicate like how inbred country people are and then it becomes flipped and becomes a moment of tension in the film like is but it's yeah. important to the plot and then we get the great gag of him going narp and it's like that's just really great comedy writing it's so good yeah so the question that started this conversation was most iconic scene oh yeah sorry and and no this is my point is that like that as far as like the just the comedy i think that that's what scene that you just mentioned is the most iconic comedic scene to me because that's like the 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 yarp yarp narp yeah. like that yeah that conversation on the phone is the one thing that i have never forgotten and like quote as well yeah i just said i don't even think hannah realizes but i say yarp all the time. <laughs> she just thinks you're an inbred country person I'm just like, yarp. <laughs> yeah i yeah i i, I would agree the the final shootout Yarp, and uh, for me, the opening travel montage always stuck in my head. Yeah. I was just so impressed by it the first time I saw it, and I often think about it in terms of because uh, again, this works in so many different ways. Not only does it show, you know, how sad and lonely he is, how far he's traveling from London to be out in the sticks, um, but it's also giving us some of the first indications of, oh, they're going to go really deep with all this like action editing and sound effects and, and stuff and go really yeah. over the top with it and make something that's so mundane, which is traveling throughout, you know, catching trains in London, in England, and just ramp it up with all this action editing. And I thought that's that's genius. It's very cool. It's very Edgar Wright to do those quick succession of shots to convey a, a passage of time. It's in... Short yeah. of the dead, obviously. You go down the and pub and it's, it's the pot, the pint's getting yeah. poured. And, yeah. Yeah. And we got the same thing 
I, I'm sure like there's these th- things that link all three of the Cornetto trilogy uh, aside from the actual Cornetto, <laughs> but they all have sequences of going to the pub, obviously. Yep. Um, that's, that's a big part. But we did um, Snatch, the movie Snatch, a few months ago, and it had the same smash cut of showing a character traveling from, I think, New York to London. And I don't know if that's like where Edgar Wright got the idea from or if it was it's like you you've you've been referring to it as an action movie kind of trope yeah i guess it's 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 the the montage but it's it's very uh it feels very of its time and yeah i'd i'd i would struggle to think of actual i mean i'm snatch as you said Guy I, I wouldn't have yeah. thought of that but it's that kind of flashy direction thing I, I like i feel it must be like a michael bay thing as well i don't know maybe a is it a Tarantino thing? I don't know. It's played more of a, for a comedic. I feel like it's more of a comedic thing. Yeah, but it must have anything. It else. must have an origin somewhere beyond those because Guy yeah. Ritchie was definitely doing it for for the lols as well. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't know. All right, we should move on to what holds up the best. We might have already said oh, everything. The script, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just everything. It's still hilarious too. I got to say. Mm. like just so it many is. great lines the chat between um uh simon Pegg and Stephen merchant is just really good and just a, you know like a real lull kind of in the movie they're talking about a swan it's just i don't know yeah. that just cracks me up for some reason pi staker yeah <laughs> well. yeah, yeah. I, I, even like there's just so much yeah it is so clever like the way that he arrests um Danny and all those teenagers and then they have like the smash cut of uh, all the paperwork <laughs> that has to get done yeah uh, which is never covered in buddy cop films so I think that was the idea there is to give some love to what works out to probably be at least 50% of police work if not more yeah um, yeah there's, there's so many so many great things like that yeah it, but the, the the kind of twist of like you've arrested this guy oh and he's actually a cop um and his dad's the you know inspector great from there on you know it's just he's such a lovable character yeah danny butterman as well yeah it's a great introduction of, of character um you know and you, you kind of if you'd seen the trailer you'd know it coming and spoils it a little bit but it's just yeah it's so good but it's just yeah. i mean it just it everything about it holds up so well like it still feels like it's parody of action movies still kind of feels contemporary in a way like action movies mm. haven't kind of changed a hell of a lot since then um maybe it, if it was updated now it would have like a close contact like fight you know like born mm. identity style kind of thing like yeah. that's um, got a bit of that with with Yarp. Yeah, true. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I just, I just had to quickly Google <laughs> the exact line of this, but one of my favourite lines or jokes in it is when he's, and again, this is a bit of the smash cut kind of thing where he's going around the pub kicking out all the kids that are underage drinking, mm-hmm. and he goes, "When's your birthday?" And the kid goes, "February sixth, uh, February twenty second. What year? Every year? <laughs> like that's just <laughs> such a good line. It's great." <laughs> yeah. There's also this element of it where I don't really think it's that it's not really an action movie plot. It's more of like a murder mystery 
kind of thing where he's actually solving this crime at the same time as, you know, catching the guy that kidnapped, you know, the president's daughter or whatever. <laughs> like, it's it's like, who killed these people? Was it, as he hypothesizes, the, uh, Simon, played by Timothy Dalton, and it's this bigger conspiracy. So there is this kind of like mystery unraveling as the movie goes on as well, which is way more interesting than just a straight up like, lethal weapon or rush hour kind of story i think yeah and i, I think that it comes down to when they when um Pat, there's a twist to it as well where like it's so much simpler yeah, than what actually, he comes up it's a really with more, like oh we just don't like how they look yeah like he was a terrible actor so we killed yeah, him. yeah it's just a far more mundane and stupid reasons which is great great gag but um when peg and Wright were writing this they they wrote it partly because they thought that England didn't have a great tradition of action films and it doesn't really Mm. and certainly not in like a cop or you know buddy cop action movie Uh, James Bond yeah well yeah uh, yeah that aside leaving that aside and like the Italian job and things like that but of like buddy cop action movies I meant I should say sure Um, and so I think they still wanted it to be quintessentially British, I guess. And there's something about the plot of this that reminds me of like those shows like Midsummer Murders and uh, like um, all those ones, all those British detective shows where like mm. the detective is like the local doctor or something. You know, I can't even think. Right. There's like a hundred <laughs> of them and I can't think of the names of any of them. But the, the plot of it, you know people dying in mysterious country village kind of thing like that's like really very british so i think that plot just works so well and it just makes it hilarious too when it explodes into this american style cavalcade of guns and explosions and stuff yeah it's funny because it's something that you and i have both come up against in writing our novels like i decided to set my novel in america for this reason and you had to come up with other ways to build tension, but like, there's no guns in Australia. Like, it doesn't like you. You take away the the, um, I guess the the action of everybody could have a gun, or someone could just pull out a gun at any moment, and the cops run around, you know, shooting people or whatever. Yeah, that like they did a great job of um, working with that in the sense of like the way that they get this full armory of of weapons is by confiscating them from a farmer who has like way too many yeah yeah Yeah. and that that actually is like a true to to life thing that you know occasionally you read like a news article you might have even written one before where it's like police seized all these weapons from some guy's back shed and a sea mine yeah (laughs) yes and a sea mine i've definitely written that article yeah but i mean it's the same as in australia like the only people who've got guns are farmers basically so Mm. you know and bikies farmers bikies and cops that's it um but did it did mean in my book when i finally did pull a gun in the book it had a bit more it means gravitas to it yeah because no one else has got one so yeah yeah I've got bikies Chekhov's with guns in the gun. next book I'm trying to write at the moment. So that's where that okay. comes into play. Yeah. <laughs> good, good to know. So the next question is going to be a tough one. What holds up the worst? And I didn't write anything because I couldn't think of anything. So put your critic hat on. What do you take points off? Or is this a perfect film? Oh, it's pretty close to it. I don't. 
Yeah, I can't really think of anything. I th- yeah, I don't know. Skip. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's it, there's nothing like to go straight to the next question. Who would be most offended? It's nothing offensive in this. There's no like slurs or um, taboos. Really, like, even with these backwards um, country folk, there's not really any homophobia or like. I guess it's a little bit of sexism in the way that uh, <laughs> Olivia Coleman, like everything she says, is um, some kind of like double entendre yeah but, about women but that's kind of that's kind but of their out for because it's it's her yeah. saying it. if they'd given it yes. to a male character it would have felt really crook now yeah. but and that's why i guess it's it's uh, like i said there's nothing really offensive yeah no now it just kind of comes out works. as being like really sex positive like you know <laughs> sort of a kind of you know pro-sex feminism kind of bent to it now like <laughs> but it's like a bit of girl on girl yeah yeah like and her lines are hilarious too but um that's that's the one bit where they could have made a really bad misstep that would have dated the film really badly but because yeah they made it the the, the only female cop in the village like that works really well hmm. now that i think of it it's a very white movie like i don't think there's a person of color in there at all and that could just be authentic to those parts of England for all I know. Um, but I wonder if they made it now, whether there'd be a more prominent role for a black actor or an Indian or someone that's definitely not out of place in a country like England. Yeah, I think it's probably it probably is reflective still of the um, demographics of some of those like real country villages in England. I don't think that's too far off the mark which and again probably a bit like australia too some of the little country you know little bush towns mm. it's probably just as wide as a an american christmas yeah uh <clears throat> does hot fuzz pass the internet relevancy test via yarp memes and gifs yarp <laughs> uh yeah i, I think the, the i'm trying to think uh, i'm pretty sure you, there's if I just was in Discord or on my phone or whatever, and I tried to search for a GIF, I could probably or GIF, I could probably pretty quickly come up with a hot fuzz one. I reckon. Does Yarp, Yarp quick, come up? <coughs> quick little search. Yeah, Yarp is there. Um, the Greater Good comes up, and yeah, I mean, there's a few things there. Nothing that you see like all the time. Like some things, like some movies, just get used. I do kind of get in almost like a meme, but I do get one word replies to things occasionally from mates, and it's just yarp. Like, okay, yeah, so that's pretty. Oh, actually, there's one where um, Danny is loading the shotgun or the rifle, whatever it is, and just saying shame. That one I've seen. Yeah, okay. That one I've seen. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll give it a pass, I think. Um, Yarp and Narp are both coming up here. So yeah, okay. Move on from there to how would modern smartphones and social media change this movie? There's really no use of, of mobile phones apart from when they show the close-ups on the train. Mm. 
I feel like there's a lot of things that could be filmed by <coughs> a police officer for evidence that weren't. Like if they had to wear whether that's, body cams. Yeah, whether that's a body cam or, or a smartphone. But, you know, he, he finds this secret meeting of, um, of you know, the cult of... of uh, are, they, are they called NWA? Yeah, yeah, they are, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd totally forgotten about that too. And then they... Yeah. yeah the Neighbourhood Watch Association, the brand yeah. called NWA. God, that, I lost it. <laughs> is, that a, is that a joke, do you I think? think? It's got to be. It's got to yeah. be a joke. The, the, uh, so you got the NWA meeting at night in their black hoods. Like that's the kind of thing that maybe you could film to use as evidence because they do the whole like no one will ever believe you kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I get. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that. Um, I don't know that social media or any of that kind of stuff would make the film any better. And I feel like there's okay. easy ways to avoid a lot of it. You know poor reception in the country you can get rid of mobile Mm -hmm. phones underfunded cops in the country you can get rid of body cams you know like you could kind of you could write out all of those modern aspects pretty easily it's getting harder to do that like are there really that many places that you just can't use your phone at all anymore they're in australia they're still out in the the bush a bit there's still (laughs) still spots definitely yeah probably not in a Places as small as England. Maybe not. Maybe it's not so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, hey, the, yeah. maybe the NWA have fought against the, the progress of getting mobile phone towers installed because it's yeah. a blight Maybe's. on the landscape. Exactly. They want to win best village. Yeah, they want to. So, they want to be a model village. That's it. Okay, um, we're getting closer towards the end. Could you make this movie today? What would the twenty twenty two version be? Uh, it would be fairly similar, I think. Don't you? I feel it's a bit like when we did uh, Death at a Funeral. That, like that, you know. It it feels kind of timeless in a way. Like the DVDs yeah. date it more than anything, but then you can just replace that with streaming. So, yeah. Or you keep them For in sure. there because it shows a dedication to the to owning and having the films. Like, you know that. Or it shows, um, like what we've just said about uh, access to. Oh yeah, there's no the internet's internet, really crap, like, so you can't stream stuff. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like the internet's too slow to to use Netflix, so we still watch DVDs out here. Yeah. So if they, they still had a DVD store in Sanford, that'd be that'd be yeah. pretty cool. That'd be funny. I saw I saw a video easy at Apollo Bay, by the way. Wow. I don't know if you saw that. There's still a video shop in Hamilton. Mm. And the one in Colac just closed down like a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Did you write a story about it? (laughs) Someone beat me to it. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. Like would it be a Netflix movie is the question. Like, or would it be a cinematic release these days? It'd be a a less funny Netflix film, I think. Mm. I think it's kind of, it's a little bit lightning in a bottle, really. Like the cast that they've got and catching like Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost sort of all in their ascendancy. They're kind of at the top of their game. You remake this now, you're losing that chemistry between the three of them, the director and the two stars that I think is so integral to making this and... 
um, Shaun of the Dead work. And you you run the risk. The new version, I don't think, would nail that thing I was talking to uh, talking about before of being both a parody and a love letter, like of taking the Mickey out of the genre, but still having this deep abiding passion for it. And that's a that was such a hard thing to manage. I doubt that anyone doing it now would be able to manage that. Do movies like this still come out at the cinema? Uh, I don't know about at the cinema. I mean, uh, movies like this is kind of a hard thing too. Like, th- that's the thing about this film is that it is really weirdly unique. Like, it is kind of, it is one of a kind in a sense. There's not really, like, it's a parody, yes, but it's so sort of fresh in its own way, I think, that I can't really, you know, Shaun of the Dead's the obvious one, but I can't think of another film that parodies and homages in quite the same way as this, you know, to this level of working on its own two feet as well, you know, like maybe something like Austin Powers where it's kind of, but that's more just taking the piss, you know? Mm. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that this kind of film got made as effectively before or after really. Yeah. That's it. <clears throat> I'm trying to think of stuff now and it is really hard to, um, to think of anything you know like spoofs don't really get made anymore you know there was a a period you know mel brooks did it repeatedly and then it sort of fizzled out and zucker abram zucker did it with you know flying high and top secret and uh hot shots and all that sort of stuff you know Hmm. but those were just flat out like gag gags per second spoofs and they didn't have a really strong narrative going through it. They didn't really have great characters holding it together and they didn't really have, you know, the love of the genre they were sending up beyond it being just, you know, cannon fodder for them for their just rapid fire jokes. So this kind of film, like Hot Fuzz is really unique in that sense. And if you tried to remake it, you really run the risk of losing that tightrope that it walks. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) You nailed it. Okay, it's time for the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. Steve Buscemi. A real spark plug. So, uh, the nominees. Uh, We've mentioned this already. Like, there's a lot of, like, who's who from the British uh, comedy scene, for lack of a better term. Bill Bailey, Martin Freeman, Bill Nye makes the appearance at the start. Steve Coogan, Steve Merchant. Olivia Coleman and uh, I wanted to throw in Rory McCann who plays Lurch. He's not one of those big names, but I'm tempted to give it to him because even though he only says one word, <laughs> he steals the he steals the show every time he shows up. I reckon. So I don't know. Do any of those guys have a better case than than Rory McCann? Hmm. Um, I do want to throw in the name Carl Johnson. As PC Bob Walker, <laughs> which one's he? He's the one that just see the forensics one. He's the oldest cop there, oh, and he just every yeah. so often goes or tits or you know something in between, and just every time it's funny and it's so juvenile. But that, that he gets half a vote from me. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I'm not going to get in the way of uh, of Lurch. I think he's uh, he's pretty good. At uh, stealing his scenes, you know, and like, and as we said, he's probably the most memeable out of everyone in the movies, yeah. really. 
And it's also a role that, like, even though it's the one line, who else could have really pl- played that role so well? Because he, he looks so derpy at the same time as being, like, kind of menacing. And um, then at the end of the movie, he's crying when he's getting his mugshot taken. It's, um, it's yeah, it's a good performance. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like in the 80s, if it was made then, it's Andre the Giant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, <clears throat> as far as the others that I mentioned, like Bill Bailey's, great. Like they don't tell me nothing. Like, <laughs> he he's good in um, two roles too. I love Jono. Steve. Two roles. Yeah, apparently he's doing <laughs> doing an Eddie Murphy yeah. here and playing multiple roles. Uh, Martin Freeman, I just love him. Um, so it's he. I, I think that his, not that he has a lot to work with, but I think that still everything he says is quite funny. Yeah, and did, um, ditto for Steve Coogan, yeah. I think, who's just, I think is hilarious. Yeah. And he's just, he's just so smarmy. I like the, the elevation between the three cops too, where, mm. you know, it gets to the point where Bill Nye is just like, just flat out telling the truth and everyone else has been sugarcoating. It's like, you're too good. You're making <laughs> us look bad. We need you to leave. Like, it's, yeah. All, all th- if I could share the award, I'd give it to all three of those because of the way that, that scene works together and then the way they all turn mm. up at the end when it's quite convenient. Yeah. But all right. We'll give it to Rory McCann because he's never going to have another chance at it. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yep. Steve Coogan uh, might get it when we do, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think. Night at the Museum or something? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. That's the one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, is Hot Fuzz still a good movie? I think it's a resounding yes. Hells yeah. And... um there's you know we've been talking for an hour we easily could probably talk for another hour because there's just so much um to get into do you have any like useless trivia to throw out there about this movie before we wrap things up i think i've burnt most of it with my like four oscars uh four oscar winner question (laughs) the i have to say the the trivia section of uh of this movie on imdb is the longest that i've seen from anything I've done on this podcast. Really? There's so much in there about references in the movie oh, and yeah, of course. influences yeah. on, on writing it and the, the process of writing it and the way they filmed it and where they filmed it. And So they, they filmed you know, it in the... Well, okay, this is what little trivia I know about it. They, yeah. they wrote it. It took them a year and a half to write. The first draft took them about nine months to get locked in and then they did nine months of rewriting after that and they watched... Something in the vicinity of like 130 action movies as uh, as research, in inverted commas, um, but and they filmed <laughs> it too. They they looked at heaps of towns, but I think the town they end up using is where Edgar Wright actually grew up. It's not called yeah, Sanford. And there's a lot of there's a lot of like Simon Pegg's mum is this character, and ah. Edgar Wright's mum is is this character, and that kind of thing. Yeah, right. Um, and they they also grabbed. Um, uh, who's the? I'm having a mind like who's the famous film critic that that died in the last ten years? Roger Ebert. Yeah, Roger Ebert wrote a book apparently about like action movie tropes for some reason. Oh, yes, and they they got the book and they worked in as many of them as they could come up with um, to to make the movie as tropey as possible. Even something like. 
turning on a light in the dark without fumbling around. Like that's not something you would think of as an action <laughs> movie trope, but apparently that was why it ended up in the film. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah. I'm going to have to read the right. IMDb trivia thing for it now. Yeah, go and do it. And then uh, I'm going to have to go and watch the bloopers because you mentioned that before too. From the DVD. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's hot fuzz. Um, we, when are we watching uh, The, the World, World's what, End? When did that come out is the question. Uh, I think it's like 2011 or yeah, 2013. So it's, it's a bit, it was a bit, bit more too a, late for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. But, um, um, yeah, and we've already done Shaun of the Dead, so we're out of luck as far as, as that. But uh, if, the com- if the comedy rewind exists for long enough, then we might be able to do uh, World's End. Until then, uh, of course, subscribe, share the podcast with your friends, grab some 8-bit merch over at shop8bit.net, including a nice little comedy rewind-inspired t-shirt which, with a Sony VHS throwback design. You can support us over at our Ko-fi page. That's ko-fi.com slash weare8bit. And to, you know, throw in a dollar a month, you'll get some nice little perks. But if you don't want to throw a dollar our way, you can head over to Apple Podcasts, to Spotify, to Podchaser. Leave us five-star rating and a review if you have the time to do so. Uh, Matt, where can people find you and what should they be looking out for? I've got any new content dropping. Uh, so... I know you just reviewed the uh, new Rebel Wilson movie for ABC. Yeah, we'll be talking about that one in 20 years, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so you can read my reviews at Movies 8 My Life. That's the number eight. Uh, You can listen to my podcast, Can You Believe It? With maybe, hopefully, season four will be coming sometime soon. Mm. Um, I have, uh, I've written another short play, which will be performed at Port Ferry in October or November. (laughs) Um, I'm working on another book. Oh, actually, I, I've written I'm in an anthology that's coming out later this year um, with some actual big-name authors who are way more famous than me. Um, I can't say anything more about that. It's about music, um, but uh, I'll cool. maybe be able to say something more about that soon. Is that like an essay or what? Yeah, I think I, I wrote an essay. I don't think anyone else did. So <laughs> mine might be the sh- this one in the whole anthology but uh yeah so there's that and i can't think what else i've done i'm i'm on the radio in regional victoria on abc every second thursday at about 10 30 talking films um yeah that's me lots of good stuff where can people find you on socials um at dr matt neal i think is that me Yep. Yeah, that's you. M-A-T-T-N-E-A-L. Yep. And you can catch me on the socials at Jono himself. Dear listeners, we want to thank you for joining us on Comedy Rewind. Be kind. Yarp. Yarp. <laughs>